Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. If there's one thing that seems pretty basic in American freedom, it's you can't make me give somebody else's message. You can't make me speak something I don't believe in. Uh, unless, of course, you're the state of California, in which case these are just uh, niceties sometimes that, uh, you know, must give way to the public interest, or or must they? Uh, our guest today, my friend and colleague, Dean Broyles, President of the Chief Counsel of the National Center for Law and Policy, and a very exciting case that the Supreme Court of the United States has agreed to hear. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, Dean. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be with you. So, California passed a law a couple of years ago that did what? Yeah, so California passes AB 775, and it's a law that asks or forces pro-life pregnancy care centers to advertise for the abortion industry. And um, California claimed a lot of interest, including the interest of you know, notifying women all, all their medical options when they have pregnancies as kind of their cover and excuse. But the law and its legislative history and how it was applied and who it was applied to really specifically only dealt with the targeted pro-life pregnancy care centers to give a specific message. And that message was, um, here's a number that you can call to receive um, free or low-cost medical care from the state, including abortions. And it requires pro-life pregnancy care centers to notify women of this up front when they first walk in to the center. Why not uh, require all women's health clinics, all gynecologists, you know, um, everybody post this? But uh, I guess that's a matter for the legislature. But it does seem like they're, like you said, they're they're targeting the pro-life community, right? Yeah, they didn't require, for example, what they could have done if they wanted to be even-handed and neutral is they could have said, you know, if if you're dealing with the medical profession and helping pregnant women, here's the 10 to 15 notices or things that you have to tell women so that they know what all of their options are. But they didn't require um, uh, Planned Parenthood, for example, under this law to notify women where they can go if they want to keep their baby or place their baby for adoption or get medical, free medical care to keep their baby or financial assistance um, to try to cover their, uh, you know, medical needs and financial needs while they're pregnant. But they, you know, it wasn't a two-way street. It was a very one-sided, targeted uh, message that only applied to pro-life pregnancy care centers. So uh, you filed a challenge in court, and the court said, well, of course we don't compel speech in the United States. Is that what happened? No. Um, yeah, I mean, what you said at the beginning to introduce it is really correct. The Supreme Court has consistently held that under the First Amendment, the free speech provisions, that the government can either tell you what to say or tell you not to speak. And in this case, this is a case of what we call in our area of law, uh, it's compelled speech, it's forced speech, it's where the government says, 
speak this message or else. As a matter of fact, if the Pro-Life Pregnancy Care Center does not speak the government's message, they can be fined and punished by the state for not speaking their message. You know, um, just, just in the last several months, I saw the movie that was made about the Pentagon Papers being published and the Supreme Court ruling back in the 70s that the government could not prevent the newspaper from publishing. And it seems like this is, uh, you know, the reverse of that. They can't compel you to publish either. Yeah, that's right. Um, in case after case, the Supreme Court has repeatedly said that um, the government can't force you to, in, in effect, margin its parade. And a real similar case was argued just a few months back at the Supreme Court, um, and that's the Masterpiece Cake Shop case with Jack Phillips out of Colorado, where the Colorado Civil Rights Commission said that um, if Jack was going to bake and sell wedding cakes, then he had to use his artistic talent um, to design and um, create wedding cakes to celebrate same-sex marriages, just like you would have to use those talents and artistic abilities to bake a cake for a heterosexual couple. So it was forcing him to express himself in a way that uh, violated his fundamental religious beliefs, his deeply held beliefs that marriage is only the union of one man and one woman. So again, within a few months at the Supreme Court, we're seeing two very important compelled speech cases where religious liberty is kind of on the chopping block and the freedom of speech is on the chopping block potentially. And, uh, so has, but the lower courts agreed with you that this was impermissible compelled speech? No, as a matter of fact, um, they did not. And the Ninth Circuit, um, in an effort to uphold California's bad law, um, created really, uh, or created and affirmed a new legal theory of professional speech, where they said that basically when you're dealing with professional speech, government restrictions on professional speech or compelled professional speech are not necessarily strictly scrutinized, and I don't want to get people's eyes rolling when I talk about legal theories, but basically, if a speech code from the government uh, um, is subject to strict scrutiny, usually the government's going to lose. And so the government created a new type of professional speech doctrine and applied not strict scrutiny, but mid-level scrutiny to let uh, the state of California, the legislature, off the hook and basically said, well, where there's professional speech being regulated here in the area of medicine, we're going to allow the government a little bit more leeway to force you to speak words that are personally offensive. Well, at least the government acknowledges that this is a form of speech, because, of course, in the uh, Jack Phillips case and the Colorado Baker case, the opponent, Colorado, insists that baking this custom cake is not speech. And there is considerable disagreement about whether making a custom, you know, artistic cake is speech or not. And the Supreme Court argument seems to um, go both ways on that. But clearly this is speech. The question is, can the government compel speech? So, you know, I'm thinking of some parallels here. Maybe, you know, it's, it's not in the professional realm, like the government saying here, but if you can compel speech, then why can't you require, you know, me in my Seventh-day Adventist church to advertise alternatives to worship? If, uh, you know, if you're not happy with the worship here, you know, there's uh, here's a list of uh, 
other churches and the, the mosques and the synagogues and the Baha'is and the, you know, Buddhists and the Church of Scientology and, and, and everybody else where um, you can find alternative forms of religion and spirituality. Why would, uh, you know, uh, they not have an interest in um, making sure that everyone is fully aware of all of the spiritual opportunities available to them to nurture their moral and spiritual life? I, I know I'm going a little crazy here, but uh, why not? Well, yeah, and that's precisely the problem. Um, the principle here, take it out of the pro-life and abortion context for a moment, and just think, hey, can can the government force anybody to say anything the government wants it to say? Um, whether it's an individual or an organization or a group, can it force force me as a attorney who represents you know believers who are persecuted to represent an atheist? To use my speech to represent an atheist and advocate for an atheist. I mean, it's once you start going down the slippery slope of the government being able to tell you to say what to say and what not to say, uh, you start moving in a very dark and Orwellian direction where people are afraid to say things that the government may try to punish. And so, well, it, it, you know, in the in the discussion of the Baker case, remind me you were there. But it seemed like they were touching on how this would apply to lawyers and that lawyers could be compelled to take on undesirable cases or cases that really were offensive to their own set of values and beliefs. Well, absolutely. That was one of the hypotheticals that several of the justices um, asked the advocates about. It's like the hypothetical be of, you know, a, a Catholic pro-life organization um, that gave away their services for, for free or, or even you know, charged for their services were forced to represent uh, someone in opposite position that their faith would require. And so the real question is, even putting religion aside, can the government force you to say something that you think is evil is good or good is evil or right is wrong or basically compel you to say the opposite of what, what your core belief is on that issue or subject? And... um you know, that, that's really what's ultimately at stake here. It's not just about religion. It's not just about, um, you know, abortion or pro-life issues. It's really sure. about can sure. the government force anybody to violate their conscience, whether it's religiously informed or informed by Scientology or some, you know, some other worldview or belief system that's not even religious. So that's really the issue, and that's what's at stake, and that's why... Everyone should be concerned about how the Supreme Court rules in this area because it has far-reaching um, implications about whether we're going to be a free nation in the future and whether we can live our lives, you know, and, and act and speak and even think according to the dictates of our conscience and our religious traditions. You know, I haven't been close to this case, although you and I have been working together throughout the time that you've been handling this. But it strikes me that this principle goes back at least to uh, World War II, when in the midst of World War II, the Supreme Court very quickly reversed itself in a case involving Jehovah Witness children refusing to salute the flag and mm -hmm. said you can't compel uh, somebody to do something like this that violates their beliefs. And if you think about it, you know, if there was a time when the country was united patriotically behind the war effort, everybody was committed 
you know, this isn't like the Vietnam War or more recent wars where there's a considerable amount of disagreement and dissent. You know, the country was so united. And here you have this upstart Jehovah Witness, and they won't salute the flag. And how offensive that was for, you know, many, many Americans. And yet the Supreme Court said they had a right. You know, you can't compel them. You can't punish them for not saluting the flag. And, and I guess that's what's the remedy here as far as if a pro-life, uh, you know, uh, uh, center did not post what the state said they're supposed to post, they lose their license, they get shut down. What's the, you know, what's at stake? It escalating fines. It starts with $500 and goes up from there. And um, really, you know, if this law stays in place, even if they're not fined, it undermines their message. Because as, as soon as the woman who's pregnant walks in the pro-life pregnancy care center, they're in big, bold signs diverted potentially away from the pro-life pregnancy care center towards a, a place that will provide for your low-cost abortion before, you know, the doctor or the nurses on staff can even talk to them about the option of keeping their baby or placing their baby for adoption or making a life-affirming choice. So it forces them up front, on the front end, to express um, this viewpoint. And if they refuse to have those postings and have those notices up front, and it's really, if you look at it that way, it's really a chill and even potentially a prior restraint on free speech because it, it steers women away from these centers even before they're allowed to be uh, engaged with them and, and express Dean, themselves. I, I got to cut you off. We're out of time. We've been talking about the case of Nifla against the sheriff in the Supreme Court, a compulsory speech case. We'll keep you posted. As we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom Spring. We don't just talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, www.churchstate, all one word, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ryan. Until next week, let freedom ring.